I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts, and society. I'm Alex Dean, Managing Editor at Prospect, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Wallace, an author and freelance journalist who was Economics Editor at The Independent and European Economics Editor at The Economist. With interest rates rising and a potential recession around the corner, but inflation falling, what is going on with the economy and what does it mean for our lives? Paul, thanks so much for joining us to unpick all this economic turbulence. Listeners, please note we're recording this podcast on Thursday 24th of August, so any figures we use should be correct as of today. Paul, first of all, can you explain why interest rates have risen so dramatically in recent months? Well, they had to rise a lot because the surge in inflation meant that actually if you had persisted with very low interest rates as they were, then the real interest rate would have fallen and that would have been adding stimulus to the economy and that would have actually been exacerbating the inflationary surge. So they had there was a lot of catch-up that had to occur. And real interest rate is the difference between inflation and the, the interest rate, is that right? It was, so, so, so if inflation is high and interest rates are below that, then you have a negative real interest rate and that is actually adding stimulus to the economy. So, I mean, we're still actually in that position, but but I think overall, the uh, increase in interest rates has been so dramatic that that in itself has uh, administered uh, sort of downward pressure on the economy. And clearly, there's going to be a continuing impact on people with mortgages. There's an impact coming through to businesses. Already we see in recent data that the services sector is swinging into a decline. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of... Uh, the, the Bank of England itself says that the existing policy is restrictive. And we're beginning to see signs of its effectiveness in dampening down demand. We're beginning to see that in the labour market, where sadly unemployment is starting to rise. All these things have to happen in order to dampen the inflationary pressure. Can you just explain how that dampening effect happens and what the, uh, I think they call it the transmission mechanism, (laughs) is from raising the interest rate through to these rippling out effects over time? Well, it's really just trying to depress demand, really, relative to what it would have been if you hadn't raised interest rates. And then you're trying to get demand 
to a state where actually there's excess supply rather than excess demand. And so then that will gradually bear down on price pressures. But you're right to say it's a very prolonged period. I mean, sort of a year to two years is the sort of impact. But it's difficult to assess when you've actually had rolling interest rate rises over quite a long period now. You mentioned some potential downsides there that could come with weakening demand. And do you think we're at risk of tipping into a recession? Well, it's ever so difficult to assess this. And the Bank of England towards the end of last year was very gloomy about the possibility or the probabilities it then saw of recession. And now, in fact, actually the economy has been expanding, but at a pretty sluggish rate. So, I mean, you know, it's this is not fast growth by any means. We're really absolutely in the middle of stagflation. So that's the mix of very slow growth and very high inflation. That doesn't sound doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, it's not good. I mean, <laughs> the phrase came to the fore in the 1970s, and it's difficult to see how one can't compare the current status, the current position in the economy with then. So if inflation is falling or starting to fall, and I see headlines saying that it is, but we're still raising interest rates, isn't there some sort of contradiction there? Uh, not necessarily, um, because, I mean, in a sense, the I think most people think that the Bank of England will raise rates by at least another quarter of a percent. But across the developed world, you know, the US, the Eurozone and the UK, I mean, obviously there are other countries, but in those three economies, I think, you know, we're getting to a point where where the central bankers are saying, well, actually, given the lags that we've been discussing in between changing monetary policy and, and the real economy, given the lags, have, are we getting to a point where we may have done nearly enough, enough that, you know, we've had successive increases. So, um, and that debate is quite advanced in the US. And the central bankers who are, are meeting currently at Jackson Hole in their, their sort of summer conclave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, in Wyoming. Yeah. The the question now is not so much how much higher do rates go, but how long are they held high? And and I suspect that will that debate will also occur here. Yeah, it's an interesting thing seeing it from my perspective as someone who recently bought a flat and I had a two year fixed rate mortgage and I see the monetary policy makers at the Bank of England tinker around with interest rates and they have been for months now and it's made no impact on my mortgage because I'm on a fixed rate but at some point I'm going to roll off that fixed rate and when I do my <laughs> monthly repayments are going to I don't know what they're going to be yet but they're definitely going to be higher is that an example of the sort of delay between the decision making by the central bank and its effect in the economy yeah I think I think that's a good example I mean maybe it might affect you already a bit because you're thinking well actually you know, I can no longer look forward to interest payments on the mortgage being at their previous current level. And so maybe there's a bit of preemptive behaviour. There's certainly obviously an impact in the housing market. So, um, uh, you know, these rate rises are already dampening down demand. So um, the jury is out on, on just how far that process has already gone. It's interesting what you say there, reminding me that when the governor of the Bank of England says something, it's not just it's not just what they do, it's what they say as well and the signals they give off and 
the judgments that individuals make about those signals and quite a lot of it is a kind of shadow boxing type thing and so that is that sort of what you're saying that i i'm making decisions based off my anticipation of things even so the mortgage rates will incorporate markets expectations of future interest rates so that's where it comes in expectations so, that's that's yeah, what yeah, i'm trying to yeah. get at so so um that's why they, they'll move up and down sort of apparently sort of in a way that's that's not readily explicable but it's to do with oh you know is at one time you know the thought was the rate the the bank rate's going to go up to six percent now maybe it won't rise as much as that so it, that's that's the sort of thing that's going on you wrote a fascinating piece recently for prospect headlined the wrong kind of inflation can you explain what you meant by that well, it's actually not my phrase. <laughs> it was one used by the Office for Budget Responsibility. And what they had in mind is that inflation is clearly, um, uh, high inflation is clearly something people don't want. And however, generally for the public finances, an inflationary surge could be expected to improve them because you get extra tax receipts as the cash value of the economy increases in line with inflation. If not, you know, it's, it's more because of inflation rather than because of any real increases in GDP. And this hasn't really happened in the UK. And surprisingly, compared with other countries, there's no improvement in the debt to GDP ratio, whereas that is happening in other economies. And it's really... So, so it's, it's the wrong sort of inflation because, in effect, there isn't enough of the domestic variety, the homegrown variety, the, the wage-price spiral variety, and more is external, uh, either directly through import prices or through prices set in world markets. And so that impacts very heavily on the two major um, well, on, I should say on the major price index, which is the consumer price index, which is the one used in the inflation target, but also for an older one, the retail prices index, which used to be the, the main index for the inflation target until 2003, and then, then that ceased to be the case. And so those have been rising much more. The inflation in the C, according to the CPI, Consumer Price Index, and according to RPI, Retail Prices Index, has been much higher. So this big gap has opened up. So the thing that's good from a public finances perspective, which is domestic inflation, so you get higher VAT revenues, you get I mean, higher income sound, tax. It sounded like you were describing the wage price spiral as that it could be a good thing. Not, not, not it's clearly something no one wants. But I'm just saying that technically, from the perspective of public finances, it can have this this effect whereby receipts are rising quite fast and maybe spending isn't rising as fast for the time being. Um, but what we've had instead, especially last year, was relatively, I mean, I mean, highish, you know, inflation of the domestic sort, but particularly high RPI and CPI. And those are important for the public finances because they're used to index various payments. So the the OBR 
sort of went back to 1949, it compared what's happening to the price index for the overall economy, technically called the GDP deflator. And that rose... Even the term scares me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Anyway, I could go into why it's called that. But, but, But so that rose by about... Five and a half percent in 2022, but CPI price that index, the inflation according to that last year was around nine percent, and then the retail price index was eleven and a half percent, and that meant that, for example, benefits were uprated in line with the CPI actually last September, so they were uprated by about ten percent, which is a lot, and. Then in particular, there's been this problem of debt interest rate, debt interest payments, which have gone up because we have, because of the particular structure of our debt. I could go into that. So uh, please do. So our our debt is an unusually high amount of it is linked to inflation, (laughs) linked to inflation. And so when inflation goes up, the payments that the UK government is making on its debt have to go up as well. Yeah, it's it's really quite complicated. And so this is a sort of boiled down version. <laughs> but basically, the UK government's been uh, issuing index linked gilts. So gilts is the term for government bonds. Yeah, um, gilts, because they, they used to be gilt edged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they've been issuing them since 1981. And so it was very much Nigel Lawson's uh, idea. Uh, he he wasn't then chancellor, but but he was to become chancellor. And um, actually, at the time, the Bank of England was rather against it. But anyway, it proceeded. And one rationale for it was that um, we were then emerging from a tremendous battle with inflation, and it was sort of intended to increase the credibility of the government because if it was offering inflation protection, that seems to suggest that it was going to keep inflation low. So it was sort of this idea of credibility. Now, you could say that actually that rationale really ended when, A, we introduced the inflation target. So that was the early 90s. And then... Uh, for the Bank of England, for we the, gave for it the, the, 2%, was it? Well, then it was... Well, it, it sort of eventually became 2% in 2003. But it was... Anyway, it was sort of moved... It was originally done for the RPI, a form of the RPI... RPI index, but 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 so the Bank of England was made independent in 1997. You could say, well, didn't really need the credibility of issuing this form of debt, but actually the Treasury persisted, and um, and in in so doing, it was just taking a gamble on inflation being low because because what what happens is that when the RPI surged and it did surge in 2022, and it remains high, then this works swiftly through to debt interest payments, mainly because the amount that was originally borrowed is indexed with uh, with RPI. So the actual stock of the debt, not just the, the, the coupon payments, the interest payments, which are really quite small, but the stock of the debt is being inflated. And, and so if you actually look at what happened in fiscal year 2022 to 2023, so that's that's April 22 to March 23, um, the the debt interest payments doubled, and this is primarily because of higher debt interest payments on index-linked gilts. Um, 
So it sounds like the Treasury took a gamble that it didn't necessarily even need to take. And it's now paying the price for that. Yeah, well, it, the thing is that the, the, I should have said that the index link gilts, they're about a quarter of of overall central government. Okay, debt. so the, yes. the government's debt, about a quarter of it is... Is in this form. Yeah, is in this form. Yeah. Uh, so three quarters of it, whatever it's, happens with these indexes, it doesn't affect the... Payments. Well, conventional gilts, yeah. conventional gilts, they're not. They're not affected, and and so actually, conventional guilds have a long maturity, about fourteen years, which contrasts with much lower maturities in um, other G seven economies, six to eight, and so typically that's seen as a very good thing, because um, you if if long term interest rates, the ones which which are paid on gilts, rise, then that doesn't feed through to your, your uh, uh, or it feeds through gradually to your debt stock because, because what's happening every year is you are um, having to repay the principal on debt that was taken out a couple of decades ago, you know, or whatever. And so it's only that stuff that, that is being um, where you're repaying and then in effect you're you're borrowing again to refinance it. That's what causes the payments on conventional gilts to rise. That's a slow process. But with so what has happened is that a quarter of the debt has really gone up so rapidly because of the RPI effect, and that has had that's been the principal reason why debt interest has gone up so much. And and and. You see, you see, the the twenty five percent share in the UK is is twice as high as the next highest, which is Italy, and um, so so it it. it we're, in a, we're in a uniquely bad position on this. Then, well, we, we're not helped also by the RPI, undoubtedly exaggerating inflation due to sort of technical natures of the index. I mean, the so we're 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 paying out more extra. Debt liabilities being incurred in part because the RPI measure of generally overstates inflation. After the break, we'll talk more about our uncertain economic prospects. If you enjoy our podcasts and would like to consume more of our journalism, we'd encourage you to subscribe. A subscription unlocks full access to prospect content across newsletters, the web, our app and in print. And right now, a subscription to prospect costs as little as £1 per month. Visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and subscribe now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh. And how does the UK's short-term economic performance compare to that of other comparable economies more generally? Well, um, in terms of inflation, which I suppose is the big question, um, what's been striking has been the persistence of it. So um, it came down to 6.8%, I think, on the last reading. That would be for July. And in the US, it's 3.2%. And in the Eurozone, it's 5.3%. Quite why that is, it remains sort of, you know, no doubt there are lots of reasons. The Bank of England seems to suggest that the impact from the the topsy-turvy energy price, energy price is now falling, is feeding through more slowly in in the UK, in part due to the way in which the price cap works. But it has to be said that the the core inflation measure seems worryingly high. And that's in a way because we have moved from this position where, you know, it was CPI, there a lot of the, whereby the pressure was essentially an external shock to one where actually there are these feared for second round effects where wages and prices start to chase each other. Now, I, I personally think that, that that these fears may be exaggerated and that, you know, wages um, may actually, the wage pressure may come down. But it has to be said that the latest figures were not <laughs> proof of that proposition. So, Do you think that uh, inflation may be being exacerbated by prof- profiteering on, on the part of corporations? I have to be honest. I don't know enough about that, but I'm I'm somewhat. I found something about you don't it. know about. So that's, a, that's a <laughs> no, no. I, d- I I have. I, n- I know there is the the idea of greedflation, but I'm not wholly convinced that that's occurring. But but I haven't sort of deeply investigated it, so I can't okay. really give you an informed judgment. Thanks, Paul. Um, can we talk a bit about the? wider impact of all this and and the politics Uh, for a population that's been battling with the cost of living crisis do you think things are going to get better or worse for people well they they appear to be getting better in the sense of i think you know recently wage growth was was outstripping consumer price inflation so that's sort of actual real wage uh, uh, growth but but uh, set against that obviously a slowing economy brings its own catalog of of misfortunes you know um, people being losing their jobs or whatever I mean at the moment that that uh, you know you could say that we've we've avoided the worst and we're sort of managing to muddle through but but you know that cost of living shock has been a really really serious one what might the position be by next year's general election and who stands to benefit or lose out um well um i think things are looking better than they had appeared for sunak's pledge about halving inflation which 
Of course, you know, a lot of people will criticise that for, and anyway, it's the Bank of England's job, blah, blah, blah. But um, it does look as if technically that might be achieved by the end of the year. Um, the... Um, I think I think more generally, um, it's it's difficult to see how the Treasury can offer much help to taxpayers because the public finances are very straightened. Um, but in a sense, both parties are, you know, are in a fix because Labour can't come in claiming it's going to make things better overnight. So I, I mean, it's been a, a terrible two or three years or a couple of years and it's difficult to see how the government won't be punished by that's the historic pattern so paul um what we've got at the moment is a cohort of quite angry voters are they going to take their wrath out on politicians and what does the impact of that look like well electorates place a lot of importance on how well you manage the economy and on the face of it, the Conservatives have managed it terribly, but they, of course, will say, well, we've been subjected to these massive global shocks that, you know, weren't our fault. I mean, it wasn't our fault that Russia went into Ukraine and then gas energy prices soared. And I guess, in a way, Labour's role will be to say, well, actually, yeah, of course, we accept that there are sort of international reasons why all this has happened, but you weren't very well prepared, were you? And you you failed to prepare us for these sorts of shocks. So I think that might be one of the ways in which the debate will be pursued next year. And the other, the other I should just say, is obviously the um, fiscal outlook is so bleak that <laughs> um, neither party has any real room for manoeuvre in promising things. And we see that already with Labour having to row back on the 28 billion green investment plan and uh, also Hunt trying to dampen down pressure from the backbenches for tax cuts. It's going to be an interesting, interesting election season, that's for sure. Um, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great to have you on. OK, well, thanks very much. Thanks so much to Paul for coming on the Prospect podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, grab a copy of the latest issue of Prospect, which includes writing from Guy Standing on how the crown cashes in on our seabed, Matthew Dancona on the cultural fallout from the Oppenheimer film, and Caroline Lucas's diary as she prepares to leave Westminster. And while you're here, why not subscribe to something slightly different? Prospect Lives is a monthly series of audio diary entries from our family of seven writers, including Sheila Hancock, Alice Goodman and Michael Brearley. It's honestly a joy. Sometimes it will make you laugh, sometimes it will make you cry, but it will definitely give you a snapshot of the lives of people who live differently to you. Just search Prospect Lives wherever you get your podcast or click on the link in the show notes of this episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.